0: Welcome to this latest episode of the Project Edwards 2021 podcast. I'm Neil Barrett and I'm continuing our series of discussions on safer road transport. If you like what you hear, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We have not one but three conversations for you this time around. Later you can hear a chat with the head of road user safety at Highways England, followed by the driving standards lead for a Welsh bus company. But firstly, police and crime commissioners, PCCs. They're elected to their post and their role is to hold the police in their area to account on behalf of local people. PCCs cover England and Wales, although for completeness I should say that in a handful of locations we see police, fire and crime commissioners. And in some areas, including central and greater London, but not the square mile where separate arrangements apply, the directly elected mayor takes on that role and they can appoint someone to look after policing matters. Some individual PCCs also take on a national lead for particular areas of interest. When it comes to road safety, it's Alison Hernandez, PCC for Devon, Cornwall and the Isles of Scilly who leads on this important subject across the country for police and crime commissioners. I caught up with Alison recently about her local and national work.
1: We're basically directly elected by the public to oversee the governance of policing, set their priorities, look after the money raise the local taxes um, and we, we because we have to listen to the people to identify those policing priorities. Um, one of the things that we do is obviously regular communication, surveys, engagement uh, and well, that's one of the reasons why road safety has become such a priority for me as a police and crime commissioner. So um, our communities are fed up with what's going on in their communities around speeding using mobile phones road rage all of that sort of thing Um, and I'm doing my best to try and see what we can do to tackle it
0: it's interesting you you mentioned sort of pressure on the community because I I thought I'd just mentioned having this conversation at the end of June 2021 now it's a month which has seen many of the world's eyes on Cornwall for the G7 Leaders Summit I just wonder a, a sort of a direct perspective how's that been for the residents and businesses you represent in Devon and Cornwall and how's it been going for your police colleagues?
1: Generally, it's been absolutely overwhelmingly positive. Uh, I mean, you've got to remember, in in the UK, we love our police force, so we love the fact that we had five thousand extra police officers coming from around the country, um, and everyone was so delighted to have them there. They'd like that every day if we could uh, deliver that for them. Um, there was a bit of disruption on the roads. It meant people had to be more patient. But it's been such an overwhelming success and I think it's been a fantastic way to showcase the way that we keep our communities safe in our country and particularly as we're a largely unarmed police force as well. Um, And we've got what's known as the bedrock of policing here, which is neighbourhood policing, those police officers who walk the streets drive around in their cars, know their community and the community welcome them with open arms. So, um, yeah, it's been a resounding success, I have to say. And we had no real big issues that came on the back of any of the demonstrations. Um, People were able to get their voices heard safely, fairly peacefully. And uh, we're really, really proud to have hosted it in uh, in little old Cornwall, uh, right on the peninsula in Britain.
0: Yeah, I'm sure everyone's proud there and and, uh, it sounds like you managed the balancing act quite well then.
1: I think for us, um, a lot of people didn't know what G7 was. I mean, even I had to Google it to actually really understand what it was they were going to do when they came to visit Cornwall. Uh, And I was worried it was going to come and go and pass us by. But uh, I think there's been some really great, there's some young people who have been inspired and they held their own Young G7 Summit, which the Cabinet Office also helped to facilitate, which was fantastic to involve younger people in it too. And, you know, there's the the repercussions of it really is that um, I would say the biggest success overall besides obviously what the prime minister and all the world leaders got out of it for their discussions but is actually the fact that our our community are so proud of our police force and i think we should be so thankful to all of them who organized it it was very painful it took a long time took a lot of officer time everyone's very tired because we're only just on the other side of it some are managing to take some time off but they're still on wind down from it um, but yeah, re- real good success, I think, to showcase UK policing in Cornwall.
0: I'll, I'll focus on road safety now and, and Vision Zero. I mean, it, great principles, great statement of intent. It's described by many as a bold ambition. And I think that's that's intentional. There's There's been some big announcements in your part of the world about emergency services, local authorities, um, NHS trust, charities, others joining together to adopt that strategy. Can you, can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Well, yeah. I, I mean, the, the reason for it as well is because all of the elected politicians in the local Local authorities, the sort of councils that we have here, um, both in the county councils, the unitary council, we've got all these different types of councils, district councils, they're all really passionate as well to try and tackle the number of deaths and serious injuries on our roads. We've got thousand miles of road in Devon and Cornwall, one of the largest road networks in the country, of which the majority is rural roads. So Um, You're more likely to die in our country if you um, have an accident on a rural road. So we were really determined to all of them. It was quite easy to get them to agree to Vision Zero because they want to tackle it too. Um, But the the, the challenge we've got is how do we now, you know, garner our resources together? How do we really make a step change? Because road deaths in our country and in our area have flatlined for the last sort of 10 years. 10 or so years and we know obviously technology is going to be a solution in the in the near future but we thought having a really strong sort of vision and a target to try and reduce those road deaths would you know we want none zero is our target Um, and we think it's something that could really be achieved if we work hard enough alongside our community to help them you know see what part they're playing in the whole grand scheme of things
0: yeah and how, how realistic is it to make big inroads into that by the sort of target date that people are setting of 2040?
1: Do you know what's quite fascinating and this has been some of our learning is I mean and I've got you know every respect for professionals in the sector of road safety whether that's highways engineers whether that's police enforcement officers who love the traffic side um, every respect to them but one of the things that they're all very clear about always doing is is trying to do things to the community to to force them to change their behavior to just put put Difficult things in place on the roads to make you change your driver behavior to make you have a training scheme if you mess up on the road so you have to learn and actually we were doing things to our community and i think the step change and this is why i think it's more achievable is we've got a community that are quite fed up with it as well to be frank so we want to want to work with that community and be have some radical ideas about how do we help people be best their best selves when they're behind the wheel of a car in particular, because obviously any sort of lorries or anybody that's using the road, we want them to be at their best when they're doing it. We don't want them distracted. We don't want them stressed out and we don't want them tired. We don't want them taking drugs or driving after they've had a drink. You know, how do we get alongside our community to really change that behaviour with them? And I think we haven't got the solutions all yet, but we know that that's going to be the step change that we're going to need to make. Some transparency about the fact that some of these road deaths and serious injuries can be um, avoided you know I mean we've got families who not only may have lost a loved one through a tragedy on the road but people are families who are living with the consequences of some very serious injuries and will never have the same life again so I think the appetite is there we've got the ambition we now need to get those resources and garner that real community effort to make a difference I think and and I think that's going to you know change that culture where it's just not acceptable to speed anymore it's just not acceptable to use your mobile phone while you're driving um, we think we can do it
0: sounds like there's a lot of consensus in terms of the challenges that you have is there a consensus amongst you and your PCC colleagues about the methods to tackle those challenges
1: well to, to be fair my challenge I've got a challenge which is to try and get as many of the police and crime commissions to sign up to Vision Zero. It's been very much sort of local authority council led or, or mayoral led, because it's actually in Bristol, it's in London. Uh, and we need to really, I want to up the game around the, the um, level of ambition for police and crime commissioners. So I've got a job to do to convince them to sign up to Vision Zero. I think that will make a big difference. But there's definitely a consensus about roads policing. We all know it's um, suffered over the past sort of 10 years when we've had our austerity cuts in, in, in our country, roads policing suffered in nearly every force and got and got reduced. And we're now seeing reinvestments in roads policing happening. Uh, and I think that's fantastic. I mean, even in our force alone, I've doubled the size of the investment in roads policing, um, doubled the number of officers working in there, um, trying to really show that visibility on the roads that you might get caught, not that you won't get caught. Uh, we need people to think and fear that they will. And that's why they need to be at their best behind the wheels. So, um, yeah, I I think there's quite a bit of consensus around we do need to bolster roads policing and we want to see a lot more consistency. Um, We've got some exciting schemes in places like Northamptonshire police force where the police and crime commissioner has introduced cars called the interceptors. So there's all sorts of really good practice around the country and uh, we're looking forward to trying to share a lot of that between us so that we can come up with some consistency around it.
0: I know many PCCs have an affiliation with a political party, yours is with the Conservatives. Now your patch is quite far geographically from Westminster but you mentioned the the political link-ups and you trying to influence central policy. How much of that central policy that's already there would you say? filters down to policing on the ground because obviously you've got those local priorities to um take center stage.
1: Yeah, well, at the moment the government's just in the process of really starting to push some sort of not targets but they're called outcomes, so the results that they'd like to see. Um, From a national perspective, and they're called the National Policing Outcomes. Uh, So that's going to be directing all of us, whatever our political uh, persuasion is, is irrelevant. We'll all get the same from the government, uh, and we'll be starting to have to look at those. Now, road safety is not particularly in there, so this is why, because they're really focusing on the hard, high end, high harm crimes. Um, One of the reasons why police and crime commissioners are quite important is that we can raise this as a local issue for us to tackle, but we can work work together nationally on 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 what those um, solutions might look like so I I think you know this really shows that that sort of you've got the national push um, and they really do want to be focusing on crime and we will be doing that locally but that opportunity to do what the people want us to do is is really really paramount and I think that will be our success is getting that balance right between what's coming from the government and what's coming from the people
0: Coming on to the final question now, and this is I think what they call the sort of magic wand question, but we're asking it to many of our guests anyway. Let's say you're given the role of roads minister for the day, one day, to make one big change. Uh, Yeah, and you are allowed only one to enhance road safety and make the biggest possible difference to the numbers of deaths and serious injuries on our roads. What would be that number one priority for you?
1: Well, do you know what? The biggest thing for me is it really hurts people, financial burdens. So I would be really keen to see greater deterrence for committing offences on the road. So at the moment, we've got, I use the the, the Prime Minister's term of levelling up. Um, he's got a levelling up agenda across the country to bring us all up to the same standard. Well, I've got a levelling up agenda for for the fines that you get for road traffic offences. So you might get you know, a, a £100 fine for speeding in a vehicle, you might get a, a, a £100 fine for not wearing a seatbelt, you'll get a £200 fine for using a mobile phone. Well, I'm saying, well, level them all up to 200 then, create that um, bigger deterrent, create a fund that becomes available to spend and reinvest into road safety. So that's what I would do if I could.
0: So it's the, it's the deterrent angle... And it's making sure that it's a real, real deterrent, a more serious deterrent. That's the
1: key. Absolutely. And it generates a fund that actually then can go back into tackling road safety. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy so that, that you know, until people learn where you, you actually don't want to be making the money, you've, you'll be going to be able to do more enforcement, more opportunities to in, do those engineering works and all things like that by increasing the cost of the fines. Because at the end of the day, money talks uh, and money hurts when you have to pay it and you don't want to. So uh, at the minute I don't think yeah, but- it's a big enough deterrent either.
0: Alison Hernandez talking to me a few weeks ago and we're pleased to have the support of the Association of Police and Crime Commissioners for Project Edward this year with a number of PCC sending messages of support and some joining us for road trip visits during the Project Edward Week of Action in September. Next up in this edition is someone who has spent more than 30 years working in casualty reduction as a researcher, practitioner, operations manager, partnership manager and team leader. He had a key role at the top of Road Safety GB until a year ago when he joined Highways england as head of road user safety he is jeremy phillips and my colleague james luckhurst caught up with him a few days ago to find out how he had found his first year on the strategic road network and what words of advice he had for the edward team
2: well, I've been in road safety since the uh, since the mid 1980s, actually, when the road safety challenge was considerably larger than it is at the moment in terms of uh, deaths on the highway and the road toll. Um, so I've been around for quite a long time, seen a few changes come through since then, and uh, delighted to say that most of those have been have been highly positive. I've also since. Uh, since before being part of the, the Highways England team, I held a pro bono directorship with Road Safety Great Britain as their director of research. And, and actually, that was one of three pro bono directorships, including chairing the board of a charity that provided work placements for people with mental health issues. So I have tried to diversify a little from from the road safety field. But I suppose the third thing that I would say is that, uh, despite all of these things, and despite a, a you know a long-standing, lifelong commitment to road safety, I'd always rather be sailing,
3: <laughs> especially on a hot sunny day, just as it is that we're doing our recording. I'm sure. But there's no well, wind, then. is there?
2: There's not much in the way of wind today. But uh, but actually, you know, I'm down in Devon right now. The uh, the the conditions are absolutely perfect. Bobbing around off the Devon coast would be kind of an ideal way to spend a Monday. But I'm delighted to be talking to you, James.
3: <laughs> I'm flattered. Um, let, let's be a little more formal then. Find out about your first year at Highways England, how it's progressed, and uh, and a bit more about what your department's responsible for.
2: Oh, well, it's been just just shy of a year, actually. I've been in post for about 10 months now. And it's been incredibly interesting that, you know, the diverse work that, uh, that Highways England does is... is truly truly interesting and really challenging as well so you know the organization you may be aware has targets that um, that stretch way beyond uh, an elimination of deaths even an elimination of serious injuries so highways england is actually committed to the concept of zero harm which means no deaths or injuries of any kind Um, that's what we would like to see as part of our future that's what we're we're striving towards and everything's kind of you know Geared up and straining at the sinews in order to be able to deliver that over the over the long term. The road user group that uh, that I head up has in its portfolio of better business. For example, our commercial vehicle intervention team. So both of those obviously focus very much on the on the work journey, a subject I'm just completely committed to for, for so many reasons, I'm sure it's something we'll come back to later in the conversation. But we also provide uh, road safety data and an analysis to uh, to our colleagues in the organization and to our colleagues in the regions to help them to to provide a really focused road safety effort. And we do a lot of work with our colleagues in the enforcement agencies as well to enable their work through uh, through various types of enforcement technologies. Highway is also committed to preventing suicide on the highway and in that respect acts as a bit of a leading leading organisation in in this field, seeing what we can do as a highway authority to to intervene and to try to prevent the number of incidents where people attempt to or to succeed in in taking their lives on the uh, on the road network. Um, and it is one of the things that uh, that really inspired me to join the organisation. Actually, I thought that work in that particular sector was um, innovative, really groundbreaking, and something that I was uh, I was I felt that I'd be proud to be um, to be part of.
3: There's a focus I think you've got at the moment on um, driver behaviour uh, regarding two things: close following and mobile phones. Interested to hear what your take is on those two very different sorts of risks and what you're doing to address them
2: yeah yeah it is really interesting pieces of work there so um so what what it's focusing on is um is the development of some new technologies trying trialing some technologies which actually already exist in in other parts of the world but we're just seeing whether or not they could theoretically work on the the highways england network seeing whether or not we can detect these types of behaviors so that we can intervene again at a really early stage and just help people to understand the types of risks that they're they're taking so a lot of the the collisions that we see on the network inevitably could benefit from drivers being more engaged with the driving task. Uh, You know, we've got some very capable people out there, you know, they're trained, they're experienced, they know what to do. But if they are doing something like using a mobile phone, it means that they're they're mentally disengaged from the task. All of those skills, all that knowledge, all that natural socially engaged commitment that they would have to keeping others around them safe. Um, absolutely, goes out of the window because the only thing that they're concentrating on is the is the phone call. And in the case of close following, because I I've very rarely come across a collision that couldn't have benefited from a little bit more time and a little bit more space between the two vehicles that impacted. So anything that allows us to remind people that there are minimum safe distances which they would do well to observe when they're when they're driving. Anything that we can do to help in that respect. Um, is going to be beneficial. So being able to, to, to detect people, um, especially people who appear to make it um, habitual behavior that they, they close follow the, um, the vehicle in front, they, they, they appear to have gone into a pattern of behavior where uh, they no longer recognize that either it's appropriate to have a safer space or indeed what a safe space is. If we can help to identify those people and, and intervene, especially at an educational level, Uh, just to help them to understand the risks that they're taking and the the simple actions that they can follow to improve. Um, That's something I'm really quite excited about. I really hope to be able to make some progress there.
3: Jeremy, you mentioned earlier your interest in work driving. Driving for better business is, of course, very closely um, tied in with with Project Edward, for which we're very grateful. Um, Tell us more about your interest in this topic.
2: Well, I've been working in the in the fleet safety sector since, oh gosh, I think the mid nineteen nineties. Just experimenting with what highway authorities could do to support businesses in in improving their response to road risk and help them to understand uh, understand the nature of the risk and and frankly the you know the business benefits in um, in adopting a proactive approach to to, to road safety. Um, so not not particularly for for any moral reasons. I mean, you know, because it makes good business sense. And that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm particularly keen always to work with companies, for, because quite flagrantly, it, it allows us to kind of ratchet up our investment. Um, it allows us to, to get a very high return for, for what we put in, because if we're working with in common purpose with companies, then every company that we work with um, has direct access to its own drivers and a higher degree of influence over the, the behaviours of those drivers, the vehicles that they drive, the technologies that they they use far higher degree of control than, than we could have, actually far higher degree of control even than, than our colleagues in the enforcement agencies have. So it, it makes sense to be able to, to work effectively with businesses, as I said, in, in common purpose. Both for humanitarian humanitarian reasons and for good business reasons, uh, because everything that we we do with a company, I feel, is then is then amplified. So, driving a better business has you know a great many companies on its books, giving us access to to well over a million drivers uh, in a way which, frankly, we couldn't hope to do if we were trying to engage with those drivers directly. So, it's going to be a very long term and very fruitful partnership between Highways England, any other highway authority, frankly, and uh, and British business.
3: Finally, I hope you'll be aware of Project Edward and our attempts to raise awareness and, and shine a light on what, uh, what's being done in the world of casualty reduction across the UK. Uh, what would you like to see us doing more of, do you think, and, and perhaps what we should be doing less of? We'll, we'll very happily take your advice here.
2: Ah well, there's not much that I would like to see you doing less of. Um, I think Project Edward is a is a you know a really excellent initiative, and and you know we're we're terribly proud to be part of it and to support it. Um, there are two things then. I'm gonna I'm gonna dodge your question about anything <laughs> I'd like you to see see less of, and give you two things I'd like you to see more being done of. That. There's, there's an obvious segue here from my the, the previous question regarding businesses and i, I would love to see project edward really consolidate 2021 with doing an awful lot more work with with businesses in future. again, you know just as a really smart tactical move to um, to help to amplify our messages um, amongst a larger number of drivers and, and, and other motorists than we would otherwise be able to do. The the second thing I'd love to see more of, because I think it's a really interesting emerging area, is is what we can do in the post collision response space. Now I'd love to see a future in which we are, you know, we're, we're able to save more lives um, after the inevitable collisions occur. And perhaps one of the ways in which we can do that is by is by skilling up um, our citizens to to be able to intervene when. You know theirs is the the most important intervention you know so we would do well to remember i think that you know that the first responder on the scene of a collision is anybody that survives it um and any individual caught up in a collision who's still able to to function and and still able to to help those that need it um is absolutely essential to our drive to Uh, to reduce the number of deaths and and especially serious injuries so providing people with the tools the knowledge the skills frankly the confidence that they need to be able to intervene in those first few minutes when it really matters i think that could be a game-changing aspect of of road safety in the uk and i would love to see project edward really investing in that particular area
0: Jeremy Phillips of Highways England concluding with some excellent advice, which we will certainly be following up on during our forthcoming week of action. Finally, this time we're dropping off at a bus depot in Cardiff. Why, you may ask? Well, it was an invitation from the person responsible for driving standards at Cardiff Bus, which is in the process of bringing in more than 30 electric vehicles to its fleet. Simon Gardner has been many years in this role, and we sent James along to find out what makes a good bus driver and how buses can
4: be good for road safety. I'm Simon Gardner. I'm the Delegated Driving Examiner with Cardiff Bus. Been in the industry for 35 years this year, and, ne- and next April marks my 30th year with Cardiff Bus. For the last 21 years, I've been a trainer, and for the last three years, I've been the Delegated Driving Examiner. So I'm authorized on behalf of the DSA to carry out driving tests for Cardiff Bus, which I find totally different to training.
3: That's a pretty good introduction, Simon. Let's look at the, your job then as a, as an examiner. How has that changed over the years?
4: Since becoming an examiner, um, we've, we've won back theory centers so we can do our own theory te- centers. During COVID, we've employed six new relief development trainers. And during furlough and COVID, we've got three of them up and running in anticipation of being short staffed, which was really uh, good thinking. Well, you know, and good planning in ahead. So we've now got six new trainers. We've now got a new rebranded as the Training Academy. And we are in a position now where we can employ staff and do all the training in-house and the 3D tests can be done in the, within the Training Academy. Then I get to meet them and I can do the driving tests and the CPC tests. And then I stay in touch with 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 them now through the driver CPC. Um, so that's the biggest change. You know, when I was a trainer, Back in 2000, we didn't do things like CPC. We used to have the odd sort of toolbox tracks we used to t- call them then. But now everything is formal and everything's all about customer service. And And that's part of our our long term goal at Cardiff Bus. Uh, and part of the reason for launching Training Academy is, is to improve the quality that we turn out to the public at Cardiff so that they're better prepared, got better customer service skills and they're better drivers. What makes a
3: good driver then?
4: Patience of a saint is probably the way I describe it. They've got to drive a, a, a bus through a, what's normally a very congested city centre, but at the moment where there's not as much congestion, you've got the problems of pop-up bike lanes, narrow streets where pop-up bike lanes have been put in. They've got the problem of mask wearing and people not wanting to wear a mask, people refusing to wear a mask, and they've still got to smile and have a, a, a have a jolly look, outlook. Um, so finding that perfect person isn't always easy.
3: What about in terms of their road safety awareness? How critical is that?
4: Uh, It's very critical uh, because, as you can imagine, there's a lot of investment taking place in Cardiff. So there's roadworks all over the city. They've got to be able to negotiate really tight hazards. Buses are a lot bigger than they used to be. We've still got a fleet of bendy buses in Cardiff, which is certainly not easy at the moment with all the roadworks. In fact, we haven't even got a bus station at the moment. But it'll look nice when it's all finished.
3: Looking ahead then. How How is the bus environment going to change? How is Cardiff City Centre going to look in, let's say, 10 years from now? Have you got any uh, crystal ball ideas there?
4: I would imagine there's going to be a lot more electric buses. It's just the start. I would have said in 10 years there could even be buses out there without drivers. We hope to have our our long-awaited bus station. I think it's due to open in 2023. But yeah, the road network will will be much improved when it's finished. But when it's finished is... Well, anyone's guess when it's going to be finished, but it, it'll look nice when it's done. A bit like Cardiff Bay. You know, Cardiff Bay was a mess for 10 years. Now it's it's a tourist attraction. And, and Cardiff is one of the fastest growing capital cities. It's also, um, or oh, it was before COVID, it was one of the cities that people wanted to visit for a weekend break, which is another challenge for a bus driver because people show up in Cardiff and want to know how to get to the bay?
3: So the bus driver's got to be tour guide as well as uh, financial manager and customer relations. You need to, I hadn't realised there, there are loads of different skills. You may never know when you need to be called on to use them.
4: Yeah, the, yeah, the, the one that comes up the most is people say, you oh, can we go to Cardiff Bay? And they show up with a bucket of speed and they don't realise the Cardiff Bay is just a dock. <laughs> That's the one that we see the most. And that's the one that the guys always laugh at. You know, they 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 see the little children all excited to go and see Cardiff Pay and expecting a seaside, and it isn't a seaside. Do I detect a bit of I
0: told you so there? Nah, of course not. That was Simon Gardner of Cardiff Bus talking to my colleague James Luckhurst. So that's it for this edition of the Project Edward podcast. The next one will be with you in two weeks' time. If you found this podcast to be of interest, please leave us a review, and if you haven't already done so, subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any comments on what you've heard today, please do join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag Project Edward. You can keep up to date with our road safety activity at projectedward.org. The producer was Peter Baker. I'm Neil Barrett. Thanks for listening.